0: to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth.
1: And I'm Zach.
0: And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers.
1: We are the Classic Gaming Brothers.
0: The brothers that classically game.
1: We game classically. And we brothers
0: we brothers
1: <laughs> we brothers
0: always classy sometimes classic welcome to episode 62 62 i think it's just funny that we we announced every episode while we usually announce every number of the episode in the episode and then i feel like i get real meta and i think that we're just like a counting podcast
1: we are basically all co- podcasts that do that are counting podcasts we we count up to a number and then we have supplementary information that goes along with the importance of that number
0: so this week's the number is 62 so what have you been recently been playing
1: seth per the last few weeks i have been on a sonic binge so this week i have also been playing more sonic games
0: that's good that's good i mean if anything you're consistent
1: i'm consistent specifically i've been playing they're all different sonic games so at least cut me some slack there i'm not playing battlefront 2 twice in a row like i did that one time
0: that's true that's true. That was bad.
1: get grumpy about it.
0: I did get grumpy about it.
1: So the two games I've been specifically playing are the Sonic and Sonic 2 ports that were done by Christian Whitehead, who later went on to create Sonic Mania. Um, so he made Sonic 1 and Sonic 2 ports that were released officially on mobile by Sega. Now, they were only released on mobile. And people were kind of sad that they were only released on mobile, because not only were they full ports of the game to a modern engine, so they it's not like a emulation of the games, but they're, they're full, ground-up ports that have... 60 frames per second widescreen support and a whole bunch of new features that were added into the games to make them more fun and so people were kind of sad that they weren't available on pc until this year or rather last year 2020 when uh an individual who i don't remember their name just now but maybe we'll put a link in the information section below to where you can download these uh an individual recently decompiled the games to run on pc you do have to have a purchased copy of the games from the app store of your choosing so if you have a apple you need to get them from the itunes app store or if you have a android you need to get them from the android app store but once you get those applications there's a process that you can extract a specific file from those game files that you download and you can upload them into your computer and then run them through the decompiler which will allow you to play the game on your pc which means that you can play them on your pc at the full 1080p widescreen 60 frames per second that your pc would offer it's very very nice i specifically really like the work that christian whitehead did on sonic 2 which has a reconstruction of the lost hidden palace zone from the sonic 2 beta builds Uh, in order to access it if you're playing through the mystic cave level of sonic 2 seth you might remember this but the end of act i think it's the end of act one of mystic cave there's a big old pit that if you fall into you get stuck and you die because yeah. there's no way mm-hmm. to get out of that pit. It's like a beginner's trap. So in Christian Whitehead's version of the game, if you fall that fall down that pit, you enter hidden palace zone. It's a secret warp. So it's pretty cool. He uh also added a time attack boss rush mode which wasn't included in the actual release of the game but still exists in the code so the decompiler allows you to access it. And Sonic 1, he did a really great job in optimizing that game to run really well for 60 frames per second, widescreen, but also added Tails and Knuckles as playable characters who weren't available to be played in the original game. So, highly recommend buying Christian Whitehead's uh ports. They're available on, you know, the the apple store and the um and the uh, android stores of of whatnot Uh, they're available on you know google play etc um make sure that you pick them up if you if you are interested in getting them Uh, and also if you want to play them on your pc you can download the decompiler And uh, you'll be able to check them out. So that's what I've been playing, Seth. What have you been playing?
0: I have not been recently been playing Sonic 1 nor Sonic 2.
1: What a pain. That's the end of this podcast. Let's go.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have, in fact, if you recall, our dedicated listener, many, many episodes ago, I was playing a game called broken sword and there are at least five games in the series not including a fan edition broken sword 2.5 and it's a a a long game series that uh follows uh the characters of george stobart and nico collard collard because she's french nico collard and and they go on some wacky adventures and I really like the game series so much that I finally beat the first one shortly after that episode where I talked about beating it or around that time and said in that episode that I was going to play through the series well here we are maybe 30 episodes later and I've beaten the second one nice most recently I'm very happy in fact this is a whole thing I went to a website called the completionator and On the completionator you can upload your games that you own into this list it's cool because it pulls in information about the game and like a little game title and you can just upload them just by the name of the game which is good if you have games across multiple platforms or even if you own games that are physical mediums in fact if you own games as a physical medium the completionator will actually pull the price tag for that game so it can give you an idea of what your collection is worth if you own a bunch of just like random games like zach like is that it would benefit zach from for him to take his game list and put it into the completionator to figure out how much his physical games are worth. I own very little in regards to physical games, but I do have very extensive Steam collection and then uh, some collections on various other digital platforms like origin blizzard which i actually always forget about and what i did was using completionator i tried to pick some games and start building a back catalog because i'm really bad and i'm sure many people can relate with getting new content and not finishing old content so then like i'll be like "Ooh, a new game and i'll buy it and then i'll play for a little bit and then i will then buy another new game especially with games being so some of them can be so cheap I can pick up a, a bunch of really good new indie games for like five dollars and you can get like an hour enjoyment and then you may not even beat it and buy another indie game for five bucks like it's bad you can get a pretty good game for a price a cup of coffee and you can even get older AAA titles for pretty cheap prices as they go on pretty dramatic sales nowadays so anyway I put the broken sword series on my back catalog and I was happy to check off broken sword the smoking mirror remastered it is uh, developed and published by revolution software and was originally released in 1997 it was was then re-released as a remastered copy on windows and you can also get it for the apple the ios as a remastered edition in 2010 and then it is available on android in 2012 which it follows the story and it's it's very like traditional adventure tropes in regards to a story you have uh, george stobart who is a patent lawyer which is a pretty it's exciting yeah very exciting job that he always ends up not doing because he's always on adventures with uh nico collard who is a french journalist and which makes sense that she's on adventures because she's a journalist and they team up together to do all sorts of things they sometimes date but they mostly try and stop the world from ending and in this particular iteration of them the number two they are investigating a drug cartel and they stumble upon a plot to raise an ancient evil god in i think it's in south america it's it's this in a, a city called Quanta-Tora? Okay. and then um, you, they have to find these three mystical stones, and they have to stop this ancient god from being raised to murder everybody. And it's very like Mayan, South American type situation nice yeah it's a fun it's a fun game it's a fun little adventure game it's the last iteration of the broken sword as a so they the first two one and two have is a like a cartoon animation style with uh 2d point and click so the cinematics are cartoon and then the the adventure play is a a 2d point and click three uh, goes 3d and four is 3d and five is the newest one and it goes back to a more artistic 2d styling of gameplay so it's interesting to see the kind of seeing the as time goes on seeing the change in graphics and the different type of game engines they use yeah as they try to adapt to the current times as it were so yeah so broken sword the smoking mirror remastered finally check it off
1: nice well i guess by episode like 92 you should be done with broken sword 3 probably yeah, yeah probably because it took you what 30 episodes to finish broken sword 2
0: <sighs> i don't even know somebody else (laughs) can tell us where where i talk about broken sword it's a it's a fun series if you were interested in traditional
1: yeah i've been meaning to give broken sword a try it's one of those games that's like been on my radar but i just haven't for some reason i don't know (laughs) i just haven't
0: well i'm i'll be done with it soon enough so uh, we're talking about Ravenloft games. Specifically, we're talking about we're going to be talking about Ravenloft: The Stone Prophet, which is an, another game by SSI. And I think we mentioned in our SSI episode. But I think we primarily, when we talked about SSI, we're talking about Goldbox games. So during that episode, we mentioned that there were other games that were developed by other people but published under the SSI umbrella, such as uh, the Ravenloft games. Yeah. Also, the Dark Sun games. Yes. Um, Spoiler alert, we, we might have a Dark Sun episode.
1: <laughs> and yeah, I, I, we did talk about Ravenloft and we talked about, well, specifically Stone Prophet in our memories, but we didn't really go too much into detail into it. Mostly just some of the quirks of the game, I think, that we remember.
0: Right. When I think back to specifically the Ravenloft games, there's, and we'll go into this, but there are three Ravenloft engine type games. Three games that were developed by Dreamforge Entertainment that were similar in style to Ravenloft, One Forgotten Realm. And we, Zachary and I, only owned one we only owned Ravenloft the Stone Prophet which
1: was the third game of those three
0: (laughs) which was the third game which goes back into our I guess our our family history of only buying sequels
1: yeah we never get firsts we always get seconds or thirds
0: (laughs) but the when I think back to the Ravenloft the Stone Prophet I I think of really kind of a scary game the I really enjoyed the game I always felt intimidated by the game and I always felt like there was a lot to do in the game without going into the scary parts of the game even though knowing now as an adult the scary parts of the game or the parts that i thought i thought were scary were just the dungeons which was primarily where the game took place
1: hmm Yes.
0: So I was very scared to go into the dungeons, but I liked wandering around the villages and finding people. Hmm. So I've actually never beaten this game. It's one of those games that I really should try and go and beat. And I will, I will try, but I've, I've actually, I've never beaten it. I've never watched the entire, and I've never seen somebody beat it completely. I've even, I've not even watched like the entirety of the final credits of it. Like I'm aware of the, final movie. I just haven't watched it and it's 100%. And that's mostly due to part because it's the type of game that I always feel like I'm going to go beat <laughs> and I'm just like going to get around to it and beat it. And then I've aged and uh, I still haven't beaten it. So... It's going to be a thing that I'll, I'll try and get to. But the thing that I primarily remember is that it, the game was a uh, first person perspective and my history of Dungeons and Dragons games that I owned were, uh, so there was the Stone Prophet game, there was the Dark Sun game. Both of them I felt were superior to the other games that I owned, which were all the gold box games, which were on three and a half floppy disks. Mm-hmm. And those games did have some first person elements for some of them, but the combat was like third person and it was real flat 2D combat where Dark Sun was like 2D, but it was sprite based. So it was a little more fluid. And so I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then Stone Prophet was like first person Dungeons and Dragons. And that was just so awesome for me that I just I really liked it and it really threw me into the fantasy world I'm not even sure if I was I'm pretty positive that I played Stone Prophet before I played Dungeons and Dragons itself which is fun in the fact that I really enjoy Dungeons and Dragons and have been playing it for 20 plus years now and Stone Prophet kind of helped along with Dark Sun and those other games really helped me enjoy the hobby as it were and appreciate it do you have any memories Zach
1: well yeah i mean one of my probably the strongest memory was that i i I never played stone prophet when i was little instead i watched seth play stone prophet when i was little so oftentimes seth would boot up stone prophet and i would sit next to him and i would watch him play the game Uh, usually that consisted of him always i think creating a new character and starting from (laughs) scratch i like i think i watched him play it multiple times and (laughs) never was like continuing a save it was like maybe once but like most of the time it was seth being like well time to start a new character <laughs> and we started from scratch. I, I remember that the game was kind of scary, uh, at least in terms of the sound effects. So, like in the game, you're walking. In the game, you're walking through like the desert, and every so often, you'll get like a random encounter of some monster, and it'll let out this like yelping scream that sounds like it's like echoey and terrifying. If I can find an audio clip, I'll put it right about here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It, terrifying. The
0: vultures and the zombies were terrifying. Yeah. I remember they—they're still kind of terrifying. They, there's, there's desert zombies that erupt from the ground. Yep. Yep. And then there's vultures that just happen to appear. And I think part of the horror aspect of this, well, the scary part of this game is that that jump scare. Yeah. That, and every—I felt like every monster in that game had the initial noise that it made was just wicked loud.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just remember those. Noises being really loud and really disconcerting.
0: Those like the dust devils yes, and yep. the 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 frog croaking and stuff like that is just like these obnoxiously loud noises that scare you, especially as a child.
1: And another memory that really seared into my brain, which is actually something we talked about in the SSI episode, and I even used some audio from it at the very end of the episode, is specifically the opening. Um, so in the opening of the game, you are playing as an unnamed traveler at this point because you haven't named your character and And you arrive at a... Kind of looks like a uh, caravan car. And inside is a fortune teller. And she has a very distinct voice. She's like... Ah yes. Who arrives at? Harikir? Uh that, that voice is consistently in my memory, and I think to this day, Seth and I can like look at each other and be like ah interesting <laughs> and we'll know exactly what we're talking about. It's a good good memory. It's, it's, it's
0: a good memory. Um she is um part she is member of the Vistani family, and that is part of the lore that we'll kind of get into because you can't talk about these games without talking about where these games are actually come from because we're a niche podcast but these games are like super niche games so and the games also don't they don't really like so profit doesn't explain itself to you there is no time at, at any point in the game where it explains what's going on beyond the story of the moment yeah it doesn't it doesn't explain to you like this is dungeons and dragons like this is like this is how these games work or stuff like that it really just drops you in a desert and you're just wandering wandering around and you wouldn't even know that this in fact is based on like a real well not like a real like a like a pen and paper type situation so not only does it tie back into a pen and paper game but this st- stone prophet game also had another ravenloft there was another ravenloft video game but that ravenloft video game had nothing to do with the stone prophet video game like in connection wise beyond being part of the ravenloft campaign setting now ravenloft a stone prophet is a a follow-up to another ravenloft game by the name of Strahd's possession which i've actually have only watched people play i haven't played myself
1: you do own a copy though i know that for a fact
0: I do. I do own a copy on good old games. The game, both of these games were developed by Dreamforge Entertainment. um, And were a studio that developed games from about 1990 to 2001. Which, interestingly enough, they were deciding that their original name was going to be Event Horizon. Until they found out about a software company that made pornographic software and thus instead of being accidentally associated with that type of software they decided they'll just change their name. So Ravenloft to Stone Prophet more than likely came from Book, along with Dark Sun Shattered Lands and all of the other wonderful PC video games that our father collected. Though, before Ravenloft Stone Prophet, Dreamforge Entertainment, with an I, worked on the Ravenloft Strahd's Possession and a game called Menzo Berenzen. Both of these games were developed by Dreamforge in the same engine that they developed Stone Prophet in. So, you wouldn't have a Stone Prophet game in the engine that it was in without having Ravenloft Strahd's Possession, or Menzo Baradzin. They all were very similar games in regards to gameplay, where you would you would create two characters. Um, in fact, the intro for creating a character in Ravenloft Strad's Possession is very similar to the intro with creating a character in Ravenloft Stone's Prophet, where you are speaking to a member of the Fistani family, and they generate a character by pulling cards. And you also generate two characters in, in the game, and then you recruit NPCs to fill out the party of four that you can have. And the game also had a a, a UI that was present throughout the three games. Uh, the UI was essentially, there was a, a window screen that you could see the game world in, from the first person perspective, and it was bordered, and the top of the border would have your menus, and where you can access your spells and all of that, and at the bottom of the menu, you would have the pictures of your characters, and between those pictures of those characters, you would have your directional pad, so you can move your characters around, and there was a, a compass above that, so you knew which way you were going, and above the characters' pictures, there would be their left hand and their right hand, And whatever weapon they had. And so, in order to fight people, you could either click on the monster directly with your mouse, and it would go left to right swinging the weapons, or you could individually click the hands as quickly as they would refresh which was i think more effective when you were fighting because i think certain weapons would refresh faster so if you just clicked on the monster directly you could actually lose out an attack because the weapon had refreshed before the game had gone around full circle to click it again essentially so if you had four people with one had a really slow weapon and the other had like a really quick weapon you could click through the quick weapon and not get to the quick weapon again before you could Man, we clicked it and it was an interesting system that also worked on like a generator on the back end to determine whether things hit and also how much damage it did and it would the damage would show up as like almost like I feel like the damage type would show up as like a, a different splash of color behind the weapon when you hit and then when the monsters hit it would show up as a splash on your character's face right okay and your your health bar would track down and they all had very similar styling when it came to that different games had different some of it was more streamlined as we got into later games the combat was a little more streamlined than it was in um curse i want to say curse of Strahd, but that's the module Um, Shroud's Possession but overall they were all very very similar type games when it comes to actual gameplay. Yeah
1: so as Seth was alluding to earlier Ravenloft is for those who might not know is based on a setting that was introduced in Dungeons and Dragons back in 1983 and is still being published today. So the campaign setting generally ties to go with different uh, horror themes. Uh, It concentrates around these pocket dimensions that are ruled by these creatures called Dark Lords. Each pocket dimension is tailored around a specific Dark Lord. These domains exist to imprison the Dark Lord so when people explore in the realms they tend to get in and have a hard time getting out. The original campaign setting did have an interconnected story throughout the different realms however with the video games they are separate storylines. In the first Ravenloft video game Ravenloft Strahd's Possession it launched with uh, a kind of new 3D computer graphics which used the game engines that's been talking about the Ravenloft engine. It was created for the game so hence why it was called the ravenloft engine but it looked like an iteration off of an earlier game by ssi um but this time in 3d this game takes place in the first ravenloft world known as barovia which is ruled by the dark lord count strad von zarovich who looks like a vamp who looks like a vampire man
0: Uh, he well he is a vampire man. yeah
1: but he like he looks like the stereotypical vampire man he doesn't look like oh with the cape, it, like he looks like Dracula.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, in Barovia, supposed to be Transylvania, right? And people may be familiar with Curse of Strahd, which is a new fifth edition module in the set in the same world. There's so there's a listing of dark wards. There's more than just two dark wards. I figured there's there's a pile of them. A pile of dark wards. A there's just one there's just one dark lord that I feel like everyone needs to know and his name is malingo he is essentially a uh, a puppet and he is in the module The Mask of the Red Death, which is not a video game. He essentially drove his creator, the toy maker Giuseppe, mad and enslaved him to make more uh, marionettes. And he garnered the love and adoration of children whilst murdering all the adults because they would not believe he was real. He's
1: evil Pinocchio.
0: Yeah, he is definitely evil Pinocchio. He can't possess a human body though. He'll never be a real boy because he's a dark lord and all the dark lords. So that's the also like a thing. The realms are like prisons for the dark lords, but they all have a fatal flaw where they can't do the thing that they always want to do. So like, um, this Pinocchio character can't possess human bodies and, uh, Strahd is trapped in Barovia and even death cannot free him from it. Also, he can never truly possess the, uh, the reincarnation of, uh, Tatiana, his brother's wife which who he was in love with
1: ah so sad uh so the next game to use the ravenloft engine is a game called as seth mentioned menzo berenzen this one is not set in the ravenloft campaign setting instead it's based in the forgotten realms setting menzo berenzen uh, being you know uh the the city where um this character comes from dritz dwarden is one of the major characters just two years earlier in the three book set called uh menzo branson the famed city of the drow which was worked on by ed greenwood r.a salvatore who went to my college and douglas niles after this box set came out the the game came out so the game obviously tied back into it the game ended up playing more like a hack and slash and didn't have a strong story to back itself up and we'll get more into how people felt about that later
0: finally we. Come to the greatest game ever made in the Ravenloft game engine and that is Ravenloft the Stone Prophet. This game is also, once again, set in the Ravenloft campaign setting, unlike Menzo Berenzen, which was set in the Forgotten Realms campaign setting, as Zachary said, but set in the same campaign setting as Strahd's Possession. So technically, Strahd's Possession and the Stone Prophet exist together in some weird universe. So Ravenloft the Stone Prophet is based on a module called A Touch of Death, which is funny because if you go up to somebody who is familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, and you ask them about Strahd, or if you ask them about Anka Poptep, they are going to probably know Strahd more intimately than Anka Popetep, who is the Dark Lord of the Stone Prophet. Because they recently released a version called Curse of Strahd for the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons game. So recently Ravenloft has been kind of getting a little bit more familiarity, especially Barovia and especially Strahd. Being the first Ravenloft game, the Strahd brings a certain gravitas to, this, to the game in the world where a touch of death was just a another Ravenloft game. It was part of a six-part multi-story in Ravenloft, but it wasn't forced to be in that six-part story and you can actually run the module independent of that six-part story. And it was just It's just a world in Ravenloft, which is why I think it's funny because Stone Prophet is probably more recognizable than the module that it's based on, which is A Touch of Death, because it was the more successful of the Ravenloft game engine games. However, Strahd's Possession the game based on the Curse of Strahd world is probably not as recognizable as Curse of Strahd, the module. Which I just thought was funny that they kind of flip flop there. Ravenloft of Stone Prophet is the last time that the Ravenloft engine is used. And it takes place in a Egyptian-themed desert where the characters are once again trapped there. And trying to figure out what's going on and how do you get out of these lands... And the desert is called Harakir. Now, there is a uh, marketing blurb that I do want to read about the game. And then I'll kind of get into a little bit more about the game itself. The big call-out was the terror of AD&D, which is Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. Horror role-playing rises again. Escape the dreaded realm of Harakir before its legendary ruler, the ancient mummy, Antigopep. He's got a huge name. It's just long awakens and puts an end to your stay himself and it goes on to talk about interacting with new non-player characters and getting into some dungeon exploration and it then goes into where it talks and says new tactics make combat more challenging the ability to fly adds even more intensity to battles which i didn't even know i knew you could jump in the game i didn't know you could fly in the game And I don't remember, I played this game a lot. Yes, I haven't beaten it, but I didn't remember flying a lot. Plus, a new spell management system enhances real-time playability. High-resolution VGA graphics deliver super VGA performance, which means you get killer graphics without a super VGA card. Which I think is just fun. I think that they're, like, essentially being like, this game looks good without having to have more money sunk into your computer system and it finally adds up the add the eerie digitized musical score and sound effects and you'll be wrapped up for hours on end which is true the music and uh, the sound effects were very very eerie the stone Prophet, like all these games are computer role-playing games or crpgs and you build your character through very through the the card system of the the Vistani member pulling the cards, and you choose all sorts of attributes, such as your class, your race, the stat, and you you also get to pick a a fun, weird picture, and the pictures that they have for these characters are are great. What I love is that they are also the same for Strahd's Possession, so you could play the same character with, like, they have just, like, one has, like, a doofy-looking hat, one's got this gigantic mustache, they are just perfect for this world and because you play in the desert there are some fun game mechanics that go along with that which include having a thirst meter uh, so, so, so right next to your health bar you have a little blue bar and it's your thirst meter and you lose thirst you become thirsty over time like in real life when you're in the desert so you have to carry around these jugs of water except you have a limited inventory system so you have like 10 of like maybe 12 slots for items and you have to dedicate a pile of them to jugs of water unless you get the cleric who can cast uh, like a water spell but then you're wasting a spell every day to cast water and it's just it's a fun little reminder that you're in ravenloft and that the world is, is a hard world to live in there are some amazing npcs that really add to this game so this game is also voice acted there are parts where so like your character is not voice acted but i believe most yeah I believe all the dialogue from the NPCs is voice acted which is great Strahd's possession is also voice acted and some of the reviewers say that because everyone has a very thick eastern european accent that the voice acting is good but that Strahd comes off a little creepy not like creepy like a vampire creepy like creepy like
1: creepy, a creepy human being.
0: But so some fun into NPCs that you would interact with in the Ravenloft Stone Prophet game is Piotro, who is a human thief who's part of the Vistani family and you actually recover a dagger of his in the very beginning of the game and if you give him the dagger, he is very grateful and he is very angry and he hates everything about Raven this this world of Stone Prophet. He hates Anka Poptep and he just wants to kill all the mummies but he is very useless. He is not a good character to bring around with you at all he is mostly harmless then there's trajan kent who is a half-elf ranger cleric and i never actually knew that he was a half-elf until i read up about him i he always just looks like a regular old human dude he is just out in the middle of the desert hanging out and when you come upon him he is very untrustworthy of you and you are very untrustworthy of
1: him fair enough
0: and you both are claiming that there are people hidden in the desert which is very flat and that you can definitely see that there is nobody around ready to strike at each other. But he will join up with you. And he is actually pretty useful. He's probably at least 50% more useful than Piotro. Oh, nice. Then comes Raktor, who is a, a Wemmick. Now, a Wemmick for those who are listening, is, is like a centaur, but instead of a horse, it's a lion. Yeah, he's very cool. He is also uh, just a fighter. And Raktor is one of the cooler NPCs in uh, Stone Prophet compared to Pietro. Pietro's is kind of like warmed over tuna compared to Raktor. <laughs> Not only is he a lion man, he can also jump and he's great. He uses a spear. He gets his, he gets his special armor he can leap around and he's all you really need well especially if you have Pietro in your party that that guy just right out of the party (laughs) he's goodbye he's also just hanging out somewhere in the desert that's kind of like where the best NPCs are yeah the next NPC that you find or can get in the game is Ankrag who if you thought the Wemmick was cool Ankrag is a desert troll who is also just a fighter he's gigantic he is a giant troll he likes to slash things with his claws and he has has very, very long arms. In fact, the way that the character system works is that you have four characters. You can get two in the middle and two on the side. The two in the middle are technically in the front. And the two on the side are in the back. And so you need to have like a long reach weapon to hit someone from the back of the party. Right. Except if you are Ankrag, you can hit everybody from anywhere with your giant claws. He's a big boy. He is a big boy. He also uh, regenerates his health as long as he doesn't have fire damage on him. Which, spoiler alert, you're going to get receive a lot of fire damage in this game. But he doesn't need to drink water because he's a desert troll. So he doesn't actually like water. The final two NPCs are two NPCs that I've actually never played with. Um, one is uh, Gloranthia, who is an undead paladin. Uh, she's in a particular part of the game where you need to recruit her, and she helps you. She does a quest, and then once she does the quest with you, she leaves the party. I actually never really got to her part or used her at all. Some people who I was reading about said that they liked her as a person, like a, as a yeah, yeah. as a character. And then there is Satir Ra, who is a, a jackalware cleric. Um, so I guess he, he's like a shape-shifting jackal. He was added to a patch of the game, which... So the game was patched up to version 1.1, and when it was patched to 1.1, uh, Scythia Raw was added in. I uh, never patched my game because I was a child and I had it on CD-ROM. So I didn't download things from the internet to make my game different. I didn't think that you could do that. It would have taken like
1: 30 years anyway with dial-up, so. It's
0: true, it's true. But I just didn't, I thought once you released a game, it was it was done. You can hope. Like a finished product.
1: <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. I
0: think it's more, or just full of naivete. Though from what I read of the character, he seems pretty cool. He didn't. He also doesn't need to drink water because he's a jackalware. Uh, but his model doesn't look any different like um, Hachtors or Ankags models, which actually look different. Uh, his just apparently looks like a dude, and I. It's unknown whether or not, like, I don't, I don't know. I haven't, I don't know if he can actually shapeshift or not, but in there, cool. it would be cool. I
1: like shapeshifters. They're some of my um, favorite kind of characters. So, uh, how were these games received? Well, let me tell you. So, uh, Strauss possession was, uh, received pretty positively. PC Gamer US said that it was quote unquote, one of SSI's best AD&D based releases packed with character and being very nicely put together. Another reviewer at the time found it quote unquote, cleverly designed, well plotted and at atmospheric but there was criticism that fell onto the overall UI of the game. Uh, one critic stated one critic stated that the interface was an exercise in quote-unquote despair and frustration, which is a very uh very mean thing to say about the UI. It's <laughs> it's just despair. Strahd's Possession was though nominated for Computer Gaming World's Role Playing Game of the Year award in May of 1995. I don't believe they won it but they were nominated which was nice Ooh. and uh people of computer gaming world remarked that the game was uh really nice in terms of uh, the subject matter and they really liked the 3d look which was kind of a new thing at the time
0: right on the other hand menzo baranzen initially received some fairly mixed reviews computer gaming world who loved strad's possession enough to have it be nominated within their game of the year award uh, heavily criticized menzo baranzen calling it a disappointment (laughs) (laughs) they noted it did have some nice features but they quote said nice features must be supported by a strong story (laughs) it was also unfavorably compared to ultima underworld which is what i think the developers were trying
1: to do with their game (laughs) yeah i wouldn't be surprised
0: instead of like they're like oh ultima underworld somewhere somewhere around that line either dreamforge or ssi was like Oh, Ultima Underworld's getting really good sales. We should try and make something like that in the Ravenloft engine. Let's make it a Forgotten Realms game and let's call it a day, and it did not do well. Though, some magazines were a little bit more kind, with one reviewer uh, from Next Generation giving it a 3 out of 5, which was complimenting the, the the quality of the graphics, saying it was almost like a painting. Some reviewers also compared it to the, the other Ravenloft games, no, which is like Curse of Str- the Strahd's Possession game, noting that the similarities between them, but criticizing the overall slowness of the game. It has been since remembered for being incredibly ambitious but ultimately falling completely flat
1: (laughs) and lastly stone prophet was received the best of the three because it is the best game the same person who called menzo baronson a disappointment stated that stone prophet was a worthy quest and a big step up from the disappointments of menzo baronson and wake of the ravager um, which we talked a little bit about wake of the ravager in our ssi episode
0: right wake of the ravager was the sequel to dark sun shattered lands and i've played Dark Sun Shadowlands to completion I have not played Wake of the Ravager to completion I really haven't even gotten that far into it because it's alright it's I don't know
1: so another review uh, another reviewer noted that while the game even at release seemed kind of retro said that if you were a fan of first person RPGs it was certainly a good one and worth checking out Electronic Entertainment stated that Stone Prophet was a must have for AD&D fans and great for beginner role players and in 1990 PC Zone included Stone Prophet in its top 10 computer role-playing games, with editors remarking on the game being a quote unquote great improvement over Stroud's possession. Yeah. Oh,
0: overall, Ravenloft Stone Prophet is is and I, I would go back to where Electronic Entertainment is saying that it's a must-have for ADD fans and beginning role players. I think that's obvious, like evidently truth for me. Uh Ravenloft Stone Prophet truly helped me really appreciate Dungeons and Dragons for the the mystery and the lore and I think part of that is also because the game doesn't really it just presents things to you like facts so it doesn't explore like where do dwarves come from they're just like there are dwarves in this world or like what is a Wemmick they don't ex- they don't say oh you find this Wemmick and your characters aren't like oh it's a what is this they're not a pro- they're just like oh it's a women. and you're like why don't you join our group and I'm like this guy is half lion like why is he joining our group and what's going on and I feel like that desire like that especially as a child trying to be like I want to know more about this lion creature man or I want to know more about trolls or stuff like that in this world led me to learn more about Dungeons and Dragons and, and buy things like the monster manual and stuff like that to really understand the world and, and buy more books and it really helped me get into the hobby that way versus um going in the reverse where i'm a fan of the properties and playing the game i mean it it's still good like even as a DD fanatic as myself um i think i still like i say i still enjoy playing stone profit i haven't beaten it doesn't mean that it's not a good game to play yeah
1: and um i mean going back to your point i think that that it makes a lot of sense that they would structure the game in a way so that you know you see a wemmick and you're not necessarily introduced to what a wemmick is sort of deal because really that's a great way of making money by (laughs) introducing something that might pull in new players into something that gets them invested in it as Seth was talking about you know he he would later go out and buy the monster manual that right there is another couple of bucks going toward the license holders so it's it's you know uh, definitely I think an intentional thing on their end but at the same time I think that's uh, like and not from a kind of cynical perspective of being like well of course they did that it gives you money but also just like I think that's just a good way of doing games like this like I think when you have a game that fills itself with exposition it takes a lot out of the game Where, yes, I think exposition is very essential to certain games, especially when you have a world that you're trying to build. At the same time, I think, you know, given the technology at the time, they did it the right way, whereas later games would maybe have like, like, for example, the Elder Scrolls games would later have like readable text and stuff that helps establish the exposition of the game and the the cultures and the the races of the game if you really want to invest your time into researching them so i mean i think if a game doesn't bombard you with exposition on what a certain character is or what they are what they do why they're here blah 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 uh, i think if they don't do that it helps you keep you in the game longer and it doesn't make the game feel like a bore
0: well and that's our uh ravenloft episode that is so our ravenloft we episode talk mostly about stone prophet but we do talk a little bit about Strahd's possession to be honest i know i say this all the time about where we're gonna come back and talk about i don't know if we'll do a Strahd's possession episode if you want us to do a Strahd's possession episode and we we're probably not also going to do a menzo barenzin episode unless you really want us to hear zachary say menzo barenzin multiple times i, I and not cannot get it say right. that word
1: I'm going to disappoint all of our D&D fans, and I know it. Menzo Berenson. In my defense, I don't play D&D as much as Seth, and I'll say that as many times as I can to earn the trust of our, of our loving fans. That's base. true.
0: That's true. And you also didn't read a, a good portion of R.A. Salvatore's catalog. So anyway, to move along with this pod, uh, let's uh, talk about what we're excited about buying, waiting, or passing on.
1: Yes, let's do just that.
0: I'll go first because why not? Why not? So, fun fact, the Steam Game Festival is going on till February 9th, which is uh, a, a cool time where you can check out some some downloads and some or some downloads. Of course, you can check downloads. You can check out some demos of games, you can see games that are coming up the pipeline, and I saw a game which was funny as I was doing this episode I actually did what the game did not want me to do and that game is called don't forget me and i definitely forgot what game i was doing as i was reading through this episode well as I was, we were going through this episode i was like what am i by waiting passing on i completely forget and it's don't forget me don't forget me is a game that was developed by the moon pirates and it is a jazz punk adventure game where you dive into the memories of your patients and try to unwrap their minds all while uncovering a dark conspiracy so i downloaded the demo i didn't get a chance to play it before recording the episode but i'm gonna check it out it looks cool and looks kind of like a cyberpunk dystopia future psychologist psychiatrist yeah and it's like you it's got some like 8-bit graphics and you have to like meet people and try to you have to meet people and try to pierce through their minds and stuff like that it looks cool it looks cool for sure
1: nice that sounds cool what about you well, what, what are you gonna buy a way to pass on
0: i'm gonna wait because i'm gonna wait until i play the demo to determine if i mean smart i haven't played the demo yet so if i play the demo and don't like it then i'm not gonna buy it so i'm gonna put it down as a wait
1: so the game that i am by way or passing on is stay out of the house being developed and published by puppet combo which is a great name for a company that I've never heard of. They describe the game as being an edge-of-your-seat stealth horror game as you escape a house that Cannibal Serial Killer lives in. And they say that it's being inspired by VHS-era slasher movies and PS1 survival horror. Now, Seth, I really like VHS-era slasher movies and PS1 survival horror. So this game seems right up my alley. I really like um, the aesthetic of the game. So currently there is a demo available because of the whole Steam Game festival thing going on until the 9th so i'm going to download the demo but i um in regards to how it looks it uses kind of blocky ps1 style graphics that are very similar to um like resident evil the original or silent hill and it kind of has that very like low quality uh almost almost i would describe like lo-fi 3d that the ps1 kind of uh gave out um also it has some fun filters on it to make it feel like you're playing on a crt which is always nice looking um, but it seems to be a very cool game uh despite the obviously low uh low quality of the graphics the intentional low quality graphics it seems like a very uh, uh immersive game uh where you can like i think th- i saw in the trailer you can go to like an arcade and play arcade games in the game so that's always a fun little thing so I- i'm definitely going to put it down on- as a wait similar to you i'm going to download the demo i'm going to give it a shot and then i will see if i like it and if i don't like it well i'm not going to buy it
0: that's a good it's a good that's a good strategy both of these games are uh, to be announced in regard- regards to their release dates yeah. um so who knows these games might be a long way off but if you listen on sunday and it is before the 9th of february you can go download the demos too which demos are free
1: all right so that's the episode that's everything so uh, let's say you have some questions about uh how to listen to our podcast how to reach out to us or how to support our podcast i'm gonna break down those things right now for you for the people listening at home. If you want to listen to the podcast, good job. You did it. You listened to the podcast. That's it. I mean, we make that joke every time, but seriously, if you if you want to continue listening to us and uh, you want to let people know where to listen to us, I guess we should say, uh, we are available on all the major podcasting applications out there, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon, iTunes, CastBox, all of them. Everyone that you can think of. And if there's one that we're not on that you think we should be on, let us know. We'll try our best to get on it. We are also available to listen to on our website, classicgamingbrothers.com. If you, uh, however, while you're on our website, classicgamingbrothers.com, and you want to get in touch with us, you can go to the contact us section. You can fill out the contact form and send us over a contact form. It goes to our email, which is our classic gaming brothers at gmail.com email or classic gaming brothers at classic gaming brothers.com email same email so send us over an email and you'll be entered into a chance to win a game off of our list of games that we have um, pc games and you'll also be entered into the chance to win our announcer from our Christmas episodes voice on your home answering machine. We will really try our best to do that. Uh, You can also contact us via our social media. So if you have a Facebook and Instagram or Twitter, you can go to classic gaming brothers at Facebook and Instagram, or you can go to CG brothers pod on Twitter. You can follow us, like us, subscribe to us there, but you can also send us messages through those platforms as all of them have messaging functionality. So if you message us there, we will do our best to get back in touch with you as soon as possible. Uh, You can tweet at us, you know tag us on stuff hashtag classic gaming brothers whatever that does get us trending number one number one in the united states we also have a twitch so if you go on twitch you can communicate with us via the chat there while we are streaming it's uh, twitch.tv forward slash classic gaming brothers we don't have a schedule but we do have a twitch uh we do have a schedule for our podcast if you want to support us well you can like us and do all the stuff that you can on various social medias you can ring bells uh, really the best way to support us is just by listening to the podcast and passing it along to your friends. Let them know that you listen to this podcast, you like the podcast and you want them to listen to it too, so that they can enjoy it. Um, tell three friends is what we always say. Cause if you tell three friends, it means you like something. If you tell more people, it means you don't. So uh, do that. And then uh, also, if you want, you can buy our merch. We have some merchandise on our website, classicgamingbrothers.com. Be sure to check that out. We have a t-shirt and we have a mug, which has our faces on it. Our beautiful faces that were designed by our great artist who is also did our uh banner that's for our facebook page so um that's everything that's everything
0: seth don't play games like my brother don't
1: play games like my brother
0: i've been seth and i've been zach and we've been the classic gaming brothers
1: that's my cards show me the way <laughs> <laughs>
0: chaotic neutral you say i, I yeah i think we